Heavenly Father, we do recognize that Your Word is truth, Your Word is powerful, Your Word is living and active. Your Word is fully capable of shaping our hearts after the image of Christ, and we pray that You would be doing that as we look at this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing our look at the Gospel of Mark, so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles there to Mark chapter 1. Well, where we will begin at verse 40 and read through chapter 2, verse 17. So would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all of the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. Would you please have a seat? When I moved to Katy uh, back in 2005 uh, with my family, we found a dentist in town who was willing to give pastors and their families a discount on the condition that they would come regularly to have their, che- their teeth checked out. Uh, so we agreed, and I went to the dentist, and it was the first time I'd been in over 10 years because I never had had any problems with my teeth, and I'd always simply heard, oh, good job, keep up whatever you're doing, everything looks great. And I went to the dentist expecting to hear the same thing, because I didn't have any problems in my mouth. 
And instead, he, he, uh, he said, you have some issues with your gums, and we need to have you come back every three months to get them checked out. And it was kind of a surprise to hear, wow, I thought everything was healthy and well, to find out that that wasn't the case. Now, thankfully, it is, it is now. He's done a good job. He's got me back to health. But how often have you heard stories like that where someone who either goes in for a physical that's needed or he has a, an accident and goes to the doctor to find out that there's something more, much more seriously wrong that he had no idea he was suffering about? You know, Jesus is giving us the theme of what He's talking about in this whole passage. He says, it is not the well who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not called, come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And the reality isn't that some there are righteous and some that are unrighteous or sinners. It's they're all sinners. The difference is that some know it and some don't. So in this passage, it's interesting to see Jesus coming through and uh, or doing these particular acts, and Mark is presenting them in such a way to show us, to reveal to us that we indeed have a problem that we may or may not have been aware of. And it's not about the physical health. It's about your spiritual health. I think about my own life and how I've told you that story at 10 years old. I prayed that Jesus would come into my heart, and from that time I thought I was a Christian, and I thought he was a pretty good person, and I really saw no need for Jesus at all. I never spent any close time with him because I thought everything was fine and okay. In college, after making some bad decisions, I began to feel the weight on my heart that maybe things inside me aren't so okay. And that was the first time I really drew near to Jesus or He felt Him draw near to me and really began my journey of growth in the Lord. And I think that's the case of so many people. There, I think people perhaps even here this morning that think of themselves as a Christian, they think they're just fine, but they really find no time or need to draw near to the Lord. And there is this gentle prodding to say, if that's you, Listen carefully. Jesus is compassionate and He's calling you, gently prodding you to show you that, yes, you're not as healthy as you think you are. You are sick and you need a Savior, and I'm here as that Savior. So, I want to walk through this passage to see kind of how He's showing us these things with these different encounters of miracles that He does, first with the leper and then with the paralytic, and then His encounter with, with Levi. It's a fascinating combination of things as you think about how Mark has put them together for help us to see. And he really shows us the significance of the compassion of Jesus in his touch. So, Jesus' touch, Jesus' testimony, and finally the trade that Jesus appears to be making. That's the outline we're going to use as we go through this. So, first, I want you just to consider the touch of Jesus. We see that most clearly in the opening scene as he heals a leper. So, beginning in verse 40, Mark chapter 1, a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Now, leprosy is not a clearly defined thing in the Old Testament. Leprosy is actually a, a Greek cognate from the Greek word leprous, which means scaly. So, for when they talked about leprosy, they're talking about someone who had a very outwardly visible infection within their skin. And it was so significant of a thing that it's out, there's two chapters in the book of Leviticus that talked about how you identify someone who has leprosy, and then the last one, what would you do in order to, de to declare them to be clean? 
So Leviticus 13 and 14 really show us that. And it was a, it was a, a, a disease that was incurable. It was a disease that was uh, terribly impacting on the one who had it. In uh, Leviticus 13, verse 45 and 46, it describes it like this, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, and he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So it wasn't just that it affected him physically, perhaps in whether it was a painful thing or an irritant, constant irritant, or things that caused him, his health to, to decay. It was also something that affected him socially. He couldn't live within the camp. He had to live alone. He had to live isolated. And if he were to find anyone approaching where he is, he had to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that they could keep their distance and wouldn't come close and perhaps catch his contagious illness. So it was a severely debilitating thing for someone to be suffering with. And here this leper, he's perhaps, I'm sure, heard of the many miracles that Jesus has been doing and how everyone who has been sick who has gone to Jesus has been healed, every one of them. And so he approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He has no doubt that he can do it, but he's not sure if he's willing to do it. There is that little bit of doubt, which I think is pretty reflective of the way we are often. We know God is capable of helping us, but we're not quite sure if He's willing to do it. We're hesitant to go before the Lord, just like this man was. But yet He comes, and what does Jesus do? This is the fascinating thing. Jesus says, I'm willing. Be clean. And He cleans the man, cleaned the man. But He didn't just say it. The shocking thing about the passage is that it says He stretched out His hand and He touched him. Now, remember what we said about the case of the leper. If the leper is going to get close to anybody or if anybody's coming close, he's supposed to keep his distance and shout, unclean, unclean, so that they don't get his uncleanness or it doesn't rub off on them or infect them in some way. And Jesus, defying all of this, stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, he didn't have to do that. We can read about accounts of miracles where Jesus healed without touching. We think about the centurion whose servant was sick, and he approaches Jesus and asks Jesus to come and heal his servant. And Jesus is about to go to where a servant is. He says, no need to come under my roof. Just say the word. And Jesus does, and he heals him without even being in his presence. So we know there's no requirement that Jesus touches the man, and yet he chooses to touch the man. You think, what kind of effect would that have had on a leper? who's been required to live an isolated life outside the towns, outside the camp, cast away from the presence of God, for that's what the camp represented, by the way. He was unclean. He was a social pariah. When is the last time he'd had any human contact? And yet Jesus touches him as a way of showing the compassionate heart of Jesus. He didn't just need to be clean, cleansed of his disease. He needed to be welcomed back into society. He needed to be shown that he's okay. It was a compassionate thing for Jesus to do. We think about the closeness of Jesus drawing near to sinners. We see it also reflective in the, in the account when he talks about Levi. After he calls Levi from the tax booth, the very next scene we find him eating in the house of Levi. 
that's, that's filled with tax collectors and sinners. And if you understand what a tax collector and sinners were, they were considered to be the spiritually unclean within the society. These are the people that the Pharisees and the scribes stayed away from, lest their uncleanness rub off on them. So we have the leper who is physically unclean, very visibly. Here we have the spiritually unclean. And in both cases, we find Jesus touching and drawing close. It says reclining at the table with them. There is this clear proximity that Jesus is engaging in with those who are considered to be unclean. He is a compassionate God. Now, the next aspect is interesting, and we move from His touch, demonstrating His compassion, to the testimony that He seeks to give, also demonstrating a measure of compassion. We see that in two places within this passage. With regard uh, to the leper, He's told something interesting. He says, you know, he says, I'm willing, be clean, now go. Where does he say it? In verse 44, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them, as a testimony to them, as evidence to them. And you find this, the instructions here in Leviticus chapter 14, talking about how you'll bring certain uh, birds and sacrifices before the priest as an offering. He'll, he is instructed to examine you very closely, as outlined in Leviticus 13, to see if there's any remaining infectious disease on in your skin. And if there's not, He would pronounce you clean, which would permit you back into society, back inside the camp, permit you to go and be part of the worship alongside God's people. So, he's, he says, this is the full restoration of the man. It's not just the physical aspect, there is the social and the spiritual aspect of restoration that's being shown too. And it's proof to the man that, yes, indeed, you are clean. And it's also proof, interestingly enough, to the priests. The priests who are getting evidence that Jesus is capable of curing the incurable, of making someone who is unclean, clean bringing them, making them able to come into the presence of God. Now, why was that significant for the priests? Because if you recall, when you read the Gospels, anytime you read about the scribes or the Pharisees or the priests, you find that these are the hardest of the heart of all the people. These are the people who look down upon the sinners and the tax collectors. These are the ones who don't think they need a doctor. The very people that Jesus is referring to, there is this, this not-so-subtle reminder that there is one here who is approved by God that you need to listen to. And He's telling you that He has come as your Savior, as the Savior of sinners. Now, is He going to be their Savior? Well, that depends. Do they think they need one? Do they recognize that they too are unclean? So, there's this testimony that's given for them. The second aspect is interesting, and it's with the paralytic that we read about. That's a uh, such a fascinating story. You read Jesus is preaching the gospel. He's in this home, and the home is crowded with people. Even the door is so crowded, nobody can get in or out. Would have been a fire hazard if the fire marshal was there, I suppose. But these guys who have this paralytic bring him to the house, can't get through the door, climb up on the roof, put a hole in the roof. Can you imagine someone doing that to your home? The lengths that someone would go digging a hole through the roof, lowering the man, must have been some engineers there too, before Jesus. 
And it says, Jesus, seeing their faith, says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you can imagine if you went to all that trouble to dig through the roof with this paralytic who has an obvious physical problem and lower him before Jesus, it's, it's not hard to guess that what he was expecting was to be able to be healed. But instead, he's told, son, your sins are forgiven. That's what he's told. So, we ask, well, did this man receive healing or not? And we think about it on the larger, the larger scale, the grand scale of all eternity. You think, well, yeah, he received the true healing that he needed, not the temporary healing that would one day fade away, but the one that would gain him access into eternity with God the Father, the forgiveness of sins. But, of course, there's no evidence that that is the case. He just says it. Son, your sins are forgiven, which makes those who are there, the religious leaders who are there, hear this, think in their hearts, who does this man think he is? No one but God can forgive sins. This is blasphemy. And as the text says, Jesus, knowing their hearts, calls them on it and says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, if you think about that, which is easier to say? I mean, it's certainly easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no way to prove or not prove just by visual observance that that's been done. But if you say, get up, your, get up and walk, and the man doesn't get up and walk, well, there's clear evidence that one worked, one didn't. And so he says to the man, get up and walk so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, the reason that He heals them physically is a testimony that He has the authority to forgive their sins, which they themselves said, only God has the right to do this. So there is this not-so-hidden not so claim that Jesus is making that, that I am God in your midst. I do have this authority. And if I were not, certainly this miracle would not have been able to be performed. It would have put it would have exposed me. You know, lightning would have struck from the sky or something. But instead, the man is healed as a testimony to those whose hearts are hard. Once again, there is this reminder that the one who is sick in their presence is internally is the hard-hearted. They need new hearts. And so, Jesus continually, gently offers them testimony, proof, evidence, your heart is hard toward me. Soften your heart, and I will draw near to you as well. So, the testimony is there demonstrating the compassion of Jesus. And lastly, I want you to, to, to talk about the trade that goes on in terms of the, 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 uh, uh, the place of Jesus uh, and what this cost Him. Because demonstrating compassion is always costly. Have you ever shown compassion to someone? It requires you to enter into their experience, their struggle. And that's an emotionally taxing thing to do. Sometimes it may cost you something. It may cost you uh, financially. It may cost you time. But anytime you show compassion to someone, it is a costly experience. And in Jesus' case, of course, is no different. There is, there is cost to Jesus in each one of these cases. And when, when we go back and look at the account of the leper, the, the wording there is, is very interesting. Um, there's a textual variant at the beginning of that passage in verse 41, 
The text that we read, at least in the ESV, says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Moved with pity. There's a variant that some texts, some of the more ancient manuscripts say he was moved not with pity, but he was moved with anger. He was moved with anger. Commentators will debate which one is the more original. Certainly, pity fits the situation, so you can understand why scribes would would put pity in there. And, And whether or not it actually says pity, pity clearly is on display by what he does. But the more difficult reading, the one that seems older, perhaps more original, says moved by anger. You think, why would Jesus be angry? Is He angry that the leper is coming to Him? Well, if He was angry that the leper was coming to Him, I don't think He would have come close or may not have been willing. But He wasn't only willing, He stretched out His hand and touches the man. So clearly, He's not angry at the man for coming. I think what He's angry, the best explanation for His anger is He's angry at the effects that sin has had on God's people. He's angry at sin that has had the effect of it is on God's people. Now, leprosy is an interesting thing because leprosy shows you what's going on outside, which is really the reality inside, because often we don't know what's happening on the inside. Everything looks to us okay, but leprosy is one of those things that exposes really what does the inside look like, what looks like this man and all of us, just for many of us it's hidden. It's kind of like that story, The Portrait of Dorian Gray, if you've read that book. I know I've used that illustration before. The Portrait of Dorian Gray is about this man. He was a, an English gentleman, very uh, handsome man, and so, so prideful about his handsomeness. He has a portrait painted of himself, and as he looks at that portrait, he admires how beautiful it is, and he thinks to himself, if only he knowing that he's going to age and get older will not look this good again, but the portrait will always stay the same, if only... The portrait could age and I could remain looking this beautiful. And somehow, of course, in the magic of the, of the novelist, that's what happens. And as he goes through life, he begins to make some, some uh, decisions that end up hurting and harming other people. But rather than feeling the effects or the weight of those things, he doesn't feel them. He doesn't change. But with, either, but, but with every evil act, his portrait begins to look uglier and uglier. So, by the end of the novel, he looks beautiful on the outside, but his portrait is this hideous, hideous beast. He has it hidden away. He hates it. He absolutely despises it. And what it's showing us here is his insides look like that all the time, but on the outside, he looks clean. He looks pure. Leprosy is taking the outside and making it visible, or taking the inside and making it visible on the outside. There, and it angers Jesus to see what sin has done to the person. Now, there's, there's more affirmation of that too. If you look again in verse 44, or sorry, verse 43, he says, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. Now, what is that? Sternly charged is actually not, uh, it's, a, it's a description the, if, if you look that up, it's a very strong word. It's, an, it's, a, it's a translation of something. I want to read you the definition of that word. It means, it comes from the Greek word embrimamai, sorry, it's hard to say, which means to roar, to storm with anger, to be enraged. It is not a 
uh, simple word. It is not a forceless word. And there, there is, whether that's expressed by the writer in terms of just this groan, this growl that Jesus gives, but there is visible anger being uh, demonstrated by Jesus in all of this act, which again, I think, is aimed at what sin does to the human heart on display with this leper, which shouldn't surprise us. God has always been angry at sin in the human heart. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the wrath of God on display for the sin of His people, the wrath of God which needs to be poured out upon the sin of His people. And Jesus is putting that on display. Now, the the interesting subtle trade that goes on as we see this happening is is the condition of the, the leper. If you recall what we read about, what we read from Leviticus chapter 13, The leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. He's the one that's in desolate places. Now, as soon as Jesus heals the man and the man goes off and he talks about, he doesn't do what Jesus says. Instead, he talks about what Jesus has said. He's spread his, spread this news of all over the place. And the result in verse 45 is this, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and so spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. Before Jesus was preaching and doing His works in the town, in the camp, while the leper was not allowed in the camp, but as soon as He has this encounter, the leper is now permitted to go back in the camp And Jesus is forced to be outside the camp in the desolate places. It's a foreshadowing of exactly what happens every time Jesus shows some measure of compassion in healing those who are hurting. It's putting Him on the path that those sinners would otherwise be on. Now, the same thing is happening with regard to Levi in the house of Levi and this tax collector. You recall the fact that Jesus was dining with sinners and tax collectors, the fact that Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiving and claiming position of God, put Him in the target, the crosshairs of the religious leaders of the day, where He went from favoritism to all of a sudden out of favor with the religious leaders who began little by little to build up their hatred and hardness so that eventually they would plot to kill Him. The path that Jesus was on every time He acted, brought Him closer and closer to the cross, to being cast outside of not only the camp of the people, but the presence of God Himself. When you hear those words from Jesus on the cross, when He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening? He was being sent outside the camp that He might carry the guilt of all of those people that He had that He had healed away from the presence of God, that they truly might be clean. As the the prophets say, He carried carried it as far as the east is from the west. The good news was death couldn't hold Him. He carried out the side of the hand. He left it, and they were clean, and He came back in, showing it's, it's done. It is finished. You are clean. 
So what is, the, what is the message for us? Well, it shows us the compassionate nature of Jesus who draws close to those who are sick, not just outwardly, but those who are sick in the soul, gently reminding us that if you think you're well, you will never come to Christ. You will never draw close. But the reality is, you're not. You're not as well as you think you are. So, so for some of you, the, the invitation is simply to draw near and spend some time with the Lord. He wants to be close. He dines with sinners. He touches the leper. There's two things that often keep us, I think, from coming before the Lord. One is the fact that we think we're okay and we don't need Him, and so we don't ever go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus is saying, you're sicker than you think you are. Come. Come. The other reason is because we know we're sick, and we're embarrassed about it. We're ashamed about it. We don't want to have to come before the Lord and acknowledge the ugliness that we know resides in our heart. And that's blown out of the water with this too. Who is Jesus dining with? Those who everybody knows in society are the tax collectors and the sinners. The worst of the worst in the the Israelite society. So don't let your apparent wellness keep you from enjoying closeness with Jesus. And don't let your shame keep you from experiencing closeness with Jesus. He is angry at the effects of sin. He is eager to carry it away that you might be brought into the presence of the Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for this gospel that Mark presents before us, how he shows us the compassionate nature of Jesus who desires eagerly to draw near and to touch us who are sick in the soul, that he might carry away our sickness, that he might make us clean, that he might dine at the table with us, that we might know the joy of the Father. Father, we pray asking that You would help us to draw near to Christ, to eagerly be ready each day to spend time one-on-one with our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.